Theosophia podcast, a platform for women's voices in theology. You can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com theosophia and consider donating to this Labor of Love project for women's empowerment. This episode features Mary Gray Reeves. Mary is the Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of El Camino Real. And not only is Mary my bishop, but I'm lucky enough to call her a friend. Our conversation stretches from grace to Burning Man, leadership to the emerging church, and I can't wait to share Bishop Mary's wisdom and goodness with all of you. So here we go. Well, and speaking of curiosity and wonder, um, you know, I'm aware that you're a curious student of culture. Mm-hmm. And you've mentioned to me before, as we've had these conversations um, of the culture of, of our church shifting and some things being reclaimed and harnessed, other things being let go, um, that you've, you've mentioned to me your interest in Burning Man. <laughs> I've never been to Burning Man either. I am not a burner. You're not a burner. Um, but for those who are who are listening who may not know, Burning Man is a, a gathering of people in um, in Black Rock Desert in Nevada every year. And it's this sort of incredible festival in the desert that is radical self-expression. Um, it's inclusive. It's there's sort of a decommodification, a gift economy. So actually some of the things we talk about as as Christians are embodied and lived out in this Burning Man experience. Um, at least in our language, I think we would say so. So I'm curious what your interest in Burning Man has been, and um, what you've what you've learned from the Burning Man story. I think uh, I've had friends who that that is their you know really major spiritual experience for them annually. So some people might go to a monastery on retreat; they go to Burning Man. And, um, you know, the thing about Burning Man is it's all barter. You can't, you, there's no money. So you go with an offering. Uh, one of my uh, oldest friends, he go, he's a pilot, so he takes his plane, and his offering is flights to fly over the desert, you know. Um, so it, it's, a, it's an intensely communal experience, and I think especially in our highly individualistic society, it is a very countercultural event. Um, because it is people who gather, maybe who know each other, maybe who don't, who basically build a, an idealistic village in a way, or a city, because it's thousands of people that go. Um, we have some parishioners in one of our churches who are burners. That's what people are called that go. And I've never been, let me preface that. But they, they go the month ahead and they stay the month after. So it's like a three-month commitment to them to set up and to clean up. And, um, and they're very faithful Christians. Um, and this is, this is their ministry of intersection with the stranger and uh, what it means to go and intensely and be intentional in community in ways that uh, we don't live every day. You know, we live quite unconsciously of our, of our neighbors much of the time. And um, Burning Man is this highly present um, moment of all the moments in a day of which there are 1,440 (laughs) 
And so to be really, really intentional about loving your neighbor, uh, I think, is what Burning Man is. Mm-hmm. And it includes, I think, for a lot, I mean, it's desert spirituality, too. And it got started because a guy went out and burned an effigy of the girlfriend that he broke up with or something. So there's that, too, right? So that, that kind of cleansing, forgiveness, um, turning back uh, to our common humanity and to love at its center, which, you know, sounds deeply Christian to me. Um, in terms of the, the essence of, of, G, of who Jesus invites us to be and the path we're called to walk in, um, not in any kind of um, legalistic way, but in a way where let's show up and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you, I was going to add one thing. I, yeah. I went on this writing retreat. At, we have a place out in Scotts Valley in the Redwoods mm-hmm. uh, called 1440 Multiversity. And that's how I know how many seconds are in a day because it's part of the name of the place and the intention. It's a conference retreat center. And it's very, very self-stylized spirituality. You know, there's all kinds of stuff going on. I heard more about past lives in the one weekend that I went on this writing workshop than I've heard at any, you know, ever. And it was fascinating to just listen to how people are finding spiritual nurture today and to be, um, to be in the midst of that. But... But about the, uh, to be intentional. So the thing I had written in my journal of why, I'm, why am I here was um, to get out of my habit trail and see what happens. And so often we live lives and we're just on this little track, you know, our own little track. And um, to get out of that is to really shift up the, the spiritual encounter with the rest of the creation. Mm-hmm. And and I'm curious, I'm curious about um, getting off the trail, um, and how that might relate to to being and doing church outside our church walls, mm-hmm. which is what you and I are collaborating to sort of discern and innovate and try on um, with with the emerging church. Mm-hmm stepping into the emerging church movement um, as the Episcopal sort of flavor of that. Um, and what what it takes, what, what qualities does it take, or what are we risking when we go off the trail um, as church, as Christians, um, and doing church beyond our walls? Yeah, the whole notion of trails is so interesting. The, the book on trails, I know uh, Heather has been reading it. I've just picked it back up again. And, um, you know, there are trails that we're on, and then there's all these other trails that we just don't see, right? So there's trails happening already. Like, we're not inventing emerging church. Um, there's already seeds of that cast around. It's what are we noticing, and what are we uh, going to choose to help cultivate and help the spirit cultivate? So it's opening ourselves and creating, um, it, uh, cultivating our own dedication to that because mm-hmm. we want to see the love of God spread. We want to see the kingdom grow. And, um, and ultimately that needs to be our commitment as people who follow Jesus because that's what Jesus was about. You know? So I think jumping off the trail we've always been on First of all, we don't just jump off of it for the sake of jumping. Uh, We step as we are conscious and wanting to live this life uh, as fully as we can uh, and in a way that is um, committed to what Jesus was committed to. 
So bringing you on board in the diocese was about, it got, we were at a place where we could say, we know that church is not going to continue in the way we have cultivated it for the last 50, 70 years. Um, that's dying, but always in, in Christian reality, if something's dying, something's being born. So how do we orient ourselves to start looking for what is being born? And what is needed? What do we have? What What are the tools of the midwife in this moment? What is the knowledge of midwifery that we bring to helping something be born into the world? Um, bravery is definitely one of those qualities, and we are asking our congregations to be brave, as they imagine, um, not in great detail, but that something else is coming, and so imagine it just that's a that's a brave thing to do to imagine something you cannot see you know um, and as Christians we trust in the things we cannot see you know so it cultivates our spirituality just in the task of imagining um, and then the curator's job is to encourage that to be alongside to coach it um, which is why you were so perfect for the job as you have great coaching skills you know um, and to help something get developed um, with no, um, no expectation of particular outcome. Um, we've worked a lot in our diocese on community organizing, just getting a sense of what's really going on in our neighborhoods. Um, I think that's one of the big, biggest things that I've noticed is that people see a level of trauma um, in all of our communities. I was in a church yesterday, that, uh, or on Sunday, and it's located by a high school, and they have a stream of kids who come by the church to use the restroom after school because they're so afraid to use the restroom in school. And it's like, okay, what, we, what, more, will, what more is God inviting us to do with that? Wow. You know? And so that, but that's a new awareness because they've... Uh, Part, members of the congregation have positioned themselves in the parking lot after school to have conversations with these kids, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of thing we're talking about. Um, it's probably not going to pay your bills, right? So we have to find some other ways to fund this ministry mm -hmm. um, or to fund what, how the kingdom is growing, you know, to fund what's happening. But if we go back to the story of Miriam, mm -hmm. she was a little slave girl. She had no money. What she had was relationship power and the ability to intersect between enemies and children and adults and people with expertise and people with nothing. And that, those are skills that, that, that is the, the use of power that we need to learn how to activate. And that's why leadership repertoire matters so much because the tradition, quote unquote, traditional models of how we use authority are at less and less relevant um, in this business of curating church mm. or curating kingdom, you know, mm. really is a better better way to think about it. Mm. I think um, watching the video on Warrior Church um, from St. Isidore's, you know, it's beautiful in so many ways, but um, I think to alert people to the amount of trauma that um, our militaristic world um, and, and flicks for people mm. is something we need to morally consider uh, and I'm not an anti-military person I'm just saying this comes at a cost and 
um, the churches are increasingly willing to pick up some of that uh, burden. Mm-hmm. I've noticed, in the, you know, I mean, in the furlough, who was the one making sure people had some food? You know, it was the faith communities. And isn't it ironic that we're becoming the safety net for the United States government? Mm-hmm. You know, I find that an incredible irony. And yet, it's we're doing it. And, you know, in little ways, big ways, whatever. I mean, it's these little food banks. It's these little churches. I think it's Brian McLaren who said the local church is the hope of the world. Mm-hmm. And there's something to that. Mm-hmm. And so not don't worry about size. Just think impact, you know, mm-hmm. um, because the impact is one-on-one. Everybody can have an impact. That's right. That's right. Everyone can have an impact. And, and you have had already such an impact on my life as a fellow woman in ministry and one of the ways that you continue to move through the world and impact myself and so many others is through through your graciousness and something that you've you've said to me a few times now is that you believe everyone has one sermon (laughs) (laughs) and um and that that yours is grace and so I'm curious how you've arrived at grace as your one sermon. Uh, well, I think over a lifetime, but um, I, I was in, when I was um, in Southern California in my early 20s, and my husband Michael and I were newly married. We went to Emmanuel Church in Fullerton, and uh, Grace was big at Emmanuel Church in Fullerton. And it was just one of these kind of extraordinary communities. Like, wow, no church could be like this. And I grew up in a very graceful, I loved my church growing up. And uh, of that place, I say, we always got a really good Christological sermon and a heartfelt Eucharist. And then at coffee hour, the rector would say, so what do you have to say for yourselves today? So the the link between the the eternal Christ, the receiving of the sacred meal and how are you living that was very well grounded for me um, growing up Uh, and at Emmanuel the the overt um, and far less or far more um, what do I want to say far less formal and charismatic way of expressing uh, you know I fell in love with Jesus there and that that was so critical for me but I, I can, one year, uh, Paul Edwards, who was the rector at that time, did a, a whole year on 12-step spirituality. And I happened to be like between field ed sites. And so I would go to Emmanuel on Sundays and just take this in. And I, there was, he was on preaching on John um, 17 and um, 17 or 18 where Jesus says, you know, may they know that you love them as much as you love me. And that had never occurred to me, you know, that God loved me like God loved Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it seems so obvious now, but at the time, it didn't feel obvious. I didn't experience that as obvious, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so, the, you know, the conversation of grace emerged for me out of the, this little cadre of clergy, and Paul was one of those, and Rob Bethencourt and Rob Edwards, who was Paul's son, for whom I worked, and and then and Paul taught me to to preach and to, you know, what's the impact of the sermon? Right, it's not how you think about being Christian; it's how are you Christian? <laughs> you know, how are you internalizing this concept of grace? And then, 
uh, sharing it with others so they can internalize the concept of grace. Um, so yeah, grace grace became my word, and it was in seminary where I I could then have rational theological arguments. Um, sometimes with some legalistic people, it's like, but you can't go there because I mean, if you're talking about Paul, as you know, it's it's not there. It's like he's the bot. Read the end of the chapter because the bottom line is you're going to end up at grace. You know, that's where it is. And the beauty of the word grace is that you can't, at the, start, the second you start to mess with the definition, it's no longer grace. Um, because the, you know, somewhere along the way, thousands of years ago, and not just in our faith tradition, um, but in mercy, you know, in Hesed and the Jewish tradition, for example, um, you know, it's unconditional. So the second you start putting conditions on it, you're not talking about grace anymore. Um, and that can be, that's very confronting, you know, to my unforgiveness, to my unlovingness, to my uncaring, um, to myself and to other people, right? So when I'm thinking, how do I live in this grace? Um, it is to live in the present because it is the essence of God. So if you're going to live in the presence of God, the presence of Christ, you're living in the, the presence of grace. And um, we don't always cope well with that. The enormity of that love is, it, it, we can't imagine it sometimes. Um, and so to be a presence that invites people to imagine they are that loved is, um, is what I think it's about. Yeah. These little You Are Beautiful stickers that we've been wearing around the diocese. Um, uh, just, it's so fun to watch people's faces as they look at the sticker, total stranger, and just watch their face transform as they take in the thought, you are beautiful. Mm. And that is just, it's just like getting to see how somebody else, how God sees them. And it's like, oh, look, they're listening to how I feel about them. Mm. You know, that's mm. very cool. Mm. It is very cool. And, um, and I'm wondering if, I mean, you and I could talk for hours, I think. Um, but as we sort of round out our time together, if there's anything else on your heart or in your mind that you want to be sure for our listeners to hear from you, yeah. anything left over? Um, I don't think anything left over. I, I would say to um, be brave with what is naturally in you. And uh, don't be afraid of the gifts that God has given you and find your friends and mentor together and strengthen um, the grace that's in you and take courage and share it. Beautiful. Thank you, Bishop Mary. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. Thank you, Kelsey. 